welcome to the Nittany Blues Podcast. By Penn State fans, for Penn State fans. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Vince. What's up, Penn State fans? Welcome back to the Nittany Blues Podcast. We are just 10 short days away from the return of Penn State football. And as such, this is our annual college football season preview episode specific to Penn State. So we've got a lot in store for you here. We have an overview of the expected roster. We're going to go game by game to give you our early predictions on what Penn State is going to accomplish this upcoming season, as well as answer some listener questions and talk about some of their predictions. But on top of all that, this episode is extra special because this is our 100th episode. So roughly about a year ago today, we started this podcast, uh, just two friends who love Penn State, love Penn State football, wanted to create this show, and it's been an absolute whirlwind, but in the best way possible. We truly couldn't have done this without your support, tuning in every week, giving us your great feedback and your support. So we truly thank you for that. But Vince, I'm going to turn the floor over to you, man. What does episode 100 mean to you? Yeah, episode 100, it's definitely giving me the feels. Uh, to celebrate this occasion, I went out for a 100-mile bike ride, which I don't do too often. I don't usually go that far, but you know this is really special. So went out and did that and uh, really want to thank the fans, too. Uh, if you guys weren't listening, we wouldn't be making these podcasts and taking the time to edit and everything. So we hope you enjoy and spread the word and you know continue to spread the, uh, the wingspan of the Nittany Blues podcast. Love it. Yeah, so I think we got to expand on that a little bit, though. So you rode your bike for a hundred miles. That's <laughs> one with two zeros behind it. That's not normal, Vince. So I think you got to give us a little bit more. Like, did, was this on a whim? Like, was this part of something where you with a group of people? Like, tell us more. Uh, it was kind of one of those things that kind of went out on a whim to just kind of do it. Uh, I saw that our, uh, the route for the Creamery Velo Club, uh, which is a secret cycling club that meets at the Penn State Creamery. Uh, maybe not so secret anymore that I've announced it, but right. on Saturdays, they I kind of found out that they were doing a 95-mile loop. So I was like, oh, we're doing our 100th episode this week. Uh, I'll do the 95 with my friends because that's obviously a lot easier when you can draft and whatnot and you save energy. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. And then the last five miles, I'll like bike to you know, Beaver Stadium or something from my house, take a picture, come back home. Uh, terrible mistake on my end. This was during move-in weekend. So if you're a Penn Stater, you know how crazy move-in weekend is. And this is my first time being on campus at that time. So I got to first-hand witness how crazy it is seeing all the freshmen move into the dorms. Uh, I, I took a like a U-turn back at, a, I think it was Shortledge or the road after Shortledge to go back to the Lion Shrine. I was like, oh, not Beaver Stadium. I'll do it at the Lion Shrine for the, the selfie for the Instagram and uh, yeah, so did that. Great time. Uh, really happy to celebrate the 100th episode and seeing the college students. It just lets you know that, hey, football season is here and, and we're excited to talk about it. That's right. Yeah. So um, obviously we're pumped to talk about it too. Uh, hence this Penn State season preview episode. Uh, but before we get into all of that, we have some high level news that uh, we definitely want to make sure that we update everybody on. So in the spirit of football, I think it's only right that we start with Penn State recruiting, and specifically, Penn State got a big one 
uh, this past week with the commitment of in-state running back Messiah Mickens. And Mr. Mickens chose Penn State over a host of other schools, including Ohio State, Georgia, I believe Alabama and Tennessee as well. So this was a huge in-state get for James Franklin and crew. Uh, and J. Juan Sider just continues to be absolutely elite on the recruiting trail, bringing in top end running back talent. And on top of that, Messiah Mickens, the high school program that he is playing for, is currently coached by former Lions Michael Motti and Jordan Hill. So there's Penn State connections all over the place. So it only made sense for Messiah to come to Penn State. And he uh, is the first commitment of the 2026 recruiting class. So Penn State is uh, really prepping for the future, even as we speak, even as they're on the cusp of what might be one of their most successful seasons in recent memory. Uh, but this was, this was big for Penn State, Vince. Yeah, this is huge. And a quick sidebar here before we talk more about Messiah Mickens. Did I ever tell you I, I met Jordan Hill? No, no, I don't think you did. Yeah, so I was uh, at my buddy's tailgate, and I guess, you know, through a mu mutual friend, he was there, and it was really cool to hang out him with him for a couple hours. And he's just a normal guy. And I was like, oh, I'm just casually hanging out with the Super Bowl champion here. Like, that was, you know, really cool. But uh, yeah, moving, moving on to Messiah Mickens. Big, big get for Penn State. Uh, you know, as fans, we love to dominate the state. Uh, and the fact that this is so early of a commitment, I, I think, is exciting. Uh, typically, at this point in time, we get recruits for the 2024 class, but this is all the way in 2026. So he's still got years to grow and develop as an athlete. And the fact that his uh, his Facebook post or Instagram post was just, I'm next. That just like, you know, gives me chills. Like, I love that swag. I love that he's ready to be the next lawn boy. Like, that is like a oh, big yeah. deal. And Penn State fans, like, if you don't follow recruiting, you should be excited about this one. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think that's an excellent segue. And I'm just going to do a little selfless plug here. Uh, we just released a lawn boys uh, t-shirt design on our merch shop, which I... I personally, you know, I'm biased, but I think it looks absolutely awesome. So you should go and check it out. It's a uh, shop.nettyblues.com. We have a promo code running through the entirety of September. If you use code 23season10, you get 10% off your order in celebration of the college football season starting up. So just a little sidebar, but yep, 100% echo you there. Um, also on the football side of things, Vince, I got to give you major props because you correctly called who was going to be the next player to wear number zero. So earlier today, Penn State announced that Dominic DeLuca was going to be the second player behind Jonathan Sutherland to wear number zero. And, uh, you know, certainly this is kind of building into being a big honor um, among the Penn State football program. Obviously, all of the staff and all of his um, his uh, his you know, his teammates hold Dominic in high regard to give him this honor. So we're going to be seeing a new number zero out here for the next couple of years. Yeah. And I think he's definitely a guy who's deserve it and is really well respected in that locker room. I got to hear, hear him speak and, uh, you know, talk about overcoming injuries and things of that nature. So the fact, the fact that he's get, getting this honor, I think is really cool. Nice. Uh, so outside of football though, we have uh, some other, uh, fall sports starting up here in our last episode we briefly talked about women's soccer and just you know all of the things that are in front of them uh, that are possible for them as a team this year they are going on what was it their 21st season as being picked to win the big 10 conference so 
um, a ton of expectations, a ton of possibilities there. They started out their season with a matchup against number two UNC and tied them 0-0 to start their uh, official season with a tie. Um, they quickly That's your stereotypical up. soccer score, though. Yep, it 100% is. They they followed this up with a pretty dominant win over Westchester University. Uh, they've moved up, what is it, into number five in the polls? Yes, uh, so field hockey is number five in the polls, uh, see, in the preseason poll. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see women's soccer move in, moving up very soon when they're getting 8-0 victories over teams like Westchester. So, you know, definitely a polar opposite from the first game, but it seems like their season's off to a nice start. Absolutely. Uh, so speaking of teams and individuals doing big things, uh, I know you had some news that you wanted to share from the track and field, as well as the uh, triathlon world that involves some of our fellow Penn Staters. Yeah. Penn Staters, they're just great at everything, uh, you know, great university. So, you know, you got George Kovacs who got third place. He's been a several time, uh, you know, Olympic and world medalist. So he got third place in the shot, put. uh, really one of the best Penn state athletes out there in terms of all professional sports. So he's a big deal. Uh, handle Robin, who was a freshman this past season at Penn state, I believe he represented, uh, Grenada in the world championships and he ran the 800 meters. That's two laps around the track in one minute and 46 seconds. So right now he is ranked as the 33rd fastest human being on the planet earth for 800 meters. So he is very, very fast. The guys um, run, run faster than him. You know, that's like Penn state's like starting football team and that's it. No other, like, yeah. few, like you know, you got your 11 special teamers, 11 uh, offense, defense, and that's it. No one else on the planet. So, you know, incredible athlete. And then Jason West, uh, triathlete really has done awesome this past season. He's been getting better and better every year. And this year it's like really starting the show. Um, he did the PTO tour, which is pretty much like triathlons version of grand slams and tennis. So the first one, he went to the European open in Ibiza, uh, in Spain, and he got fifth place there. So really good, strong performance. And then in the U S open in Milwaukee, he got second place overall, and he was sandwiched between two Olympic gold medalists. And the thing that makes this even better is he had a mechanical on his bike. So he had to stop in the race, get off the bike while everyone else was riding up, up, up course. And he had to fix whatever issue he had going on with his bike. And then he proceeded to outrun the entire field. The run was 18 kilometers or about 11 and a half miles. He outran the entire field by over four and a half minutes. Like that is just insane like the highest of highs with professional athletes like if you go to like a world-class half marathon the gap is maybe like 30 seconds to a minute between first and second place and now the fact that it's four and a half minutes that just blows my mind so incredible performance to get second sandwiched between two olympic gold medalists and then he proceeded to get third at the asian open in singapore with another great performance so pretty much every time in the top five that would be like getting into the, like the semifinals of a grand slam every single time. So really great performance. And I look forward to, uh, you know, keeping up with him. And I think he's definitely a guy who has potential to get a world title in the next couple of years. Yeah, that's awesome. So glad that we have you, uh, to kind of keep your finger on the pulse when it comes to these sorts of things, because I'm confident in saying there's nobody else in my life who would know as much about this sort of stuff as you. So, um, 
Yeah, just uh, thank you for that. And uh, just to kind of bookend our little segment here about news, there's something that I have to I have to share with you, and that is in regards to our last episode where the central focus was around our uniforms. So now, the, I mean, you obviously know, but this is for everybody else. So in our last episode, we talked about the possibility and kind of debated the pros and cons of Penn State trying a retro slash throwback slash alternate uniform with the colors black and pink. And just to you know quickly summarize like why that would even be a thing, Penn State's original colors were black and pink. Um, that changed to blue and white over the course of time. And so as we typically do with all of our episodes, we put out just a quick Facebook update to say, hey, like we have this new episode and uh, go and check it out. So we published this to Facebook and shared it with a couple of groups. And let me tell you that people were opinionated about this. <laughs> so basically just from like the headline alone, the title of the episode is should Penn State try a black and pink alternate uniform? People almost immediately came out to voice their opinion. And I would say it was probably like 60 to 70% in favor of no, which I wasn't totally surprised by. I'm pretty sure you're not either, but I just think it's nope. honestly hilarious that of all the things that we've talked about over the past, like over the past year, I mean, not to say that we're controversial or anything like that, but the fact that the most engaging thing that we've put out into the internet just involves our uniforms is so, so Penn State, and it's so hilarious. Yeah, we're we're in the state where, you know, it's a big deal if you like sheets or Wawa better. Like, that's a big thing, uh, you know, so the uniforms, I'm not surprised. People are, you know, very passionate in the state that we live in, and you know, I understand both both sides of of the you know argument here. You know, Penn State is so special. The pride and tradition, their uniforms really haven't changed over the years, and they look fresh. So, like, kudos to the designers of years and years ago. They still look amazing. But also, like, I think it would be cool to play, you know, pay tribute towards the black and pink uniforms because that was actually what Penn State was supposed to be. You know, there was this big laundry issue and, you know, things got messed up and it turned blue and white. So, you know, I think it'd be cool to pay tribute to that. It'd be really cool for Jersey sales and NIL. But at the same time, it would be so weird seeing, you know, Penn State players not wearing that, you know, blue and white. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, for sure. But it was just kind of jarring, like how many comments this got in such a short amount of time, because normally the number of comments and reactions that we get are pretty minimal, you know, which I'm not surprised by. It doesn't like affect us or anything like that we we love to share that kind of stuff but the fact that this was just so polarizing just immediately out of the gate was uh just something to behold so with that i think then we can move into our 2023 penn state football season preview uh so we have a rough itinerary here we are gonna do like a quick uh roster outlook maybe talk about some of the lingering question marks that remain with the starting roster some players whose availability um we're still unsure of how that might affect certain things so um vince i'll turn the floor over to you um what do you expect this starting roster to look like you can start with offense defense or take it in any which direction you want yeah so Offense, I, I think your line's going to be Hunter Norzad, Olu Fashanu. Those are going to be the big guys up front. You're going to have uh, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen splitting carries. You're going to have Drew Aller uh, at quarterback, despite the uh, 
Coach Franklin competition. Then you're going to have Dante Cephas and Keandre Lambert on the outside. You're going to see Amari Evans in there. You're going to see Caden Saunders. A lot of fast guys, like track speed guys, Trey Wallace the third. Tons of guys up there. Then on the defense, I expect to see you know a lot of guys in that front four. You know, Hakeem Beeman, uh, Jordan Vanber- Vandenberg. You're going to see Zane Durant. You're going to see Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac. These guys are deep. Danny Dennis Sutton, who wants to try to go for that sack record. Uh, that front line is going to be deep, despite a couple injuries that we talked about a couple pods ago. Linebacker you is linebacker you. Uh, you got, you know, Abdul Carter. You got Curtis Jacobs. You got Tony Rojas coming in. You got uh, Tamir Robinson, four-star recruit. You got Dominic DeLuca, our guy, number zero. You got Tyler Elston. Uh, Kalen King, his brother's on the team, Kobe King, really good football player. So a lot of guys there secondary looking good. You got Johnny Dixon and Kalen King on the outside. You got state college, local Keaton Ellis and Zaki Wheatley back at safety. So there is a lot of players to be excited about on this Penn state defense. Yeah, no doubt. I have, uh, Pretty much all the players that you mentioned there, um, I think there's a couple of interesting storylines and things that still need to be ironed out. Um, we'll start starting with the line. You know, I think uh, at left tackle, obviously it's it's Olu Fashionu. You know, just put him in, in sharpie. Like he'll never lose that spot. Uh, potentially top five NFL draft pick. Like that that guy is. Uh, as long as he's healthy, he'll never move from that spot. On the right tackle side, I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, who it comes down to. Right now, it looks like Caden Wallace is uh, the expected starter, but Drew Shelton, you know, we've we've seen some good things from him. Um, he was a great backup for Olu last year on the left. Yeah, side. I, I really like Drew Shelton in his game. Yep. I think he's a great player. Agreed. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see uh, how he slots in. Maybe. Uh, during some of our, I guess I'll call them less stressful non-con games, um, how they might slot him into right tackle just to see how he does um, as we kind of prepare very quickly to move into the Big Ten slate against Illinois. Uh, but on the wide receiver side, you know, that's kind of been the lingering storyline from the offseason here. As James Franklin has said, that they're looking for a number three receiver to kind of separate himself uh, from the pack to kind of solidify that spot. But I would say that your your trio right now is probably looking uh, like Keandre Lambert-Smith, Dante Cephas, and Trey Wallace, if I had to guess, just given um, the very, like the different roles of those, uh, of those wide receivers. Um, but obviously there's a ton of competition. There's, there's a lot of guys who are hungry to get playing time um, from the That's wide interesting. I, I think I disagree. I think it's going to be Amari Evans. I really like the way he looked at blue white. He looked explosive, tons of catches. So I think I expect him there. Um, I, I expect Theo Johnson to do big things out of the tight end spot as well. Yeah, for sure. I think Theo Johnson is, is a lock. Like he's, he's tight end one. Um, I would, the only reason I, I said, uh, Trey over Omari is just because of like how they're classified. So, Right now, um, Omari is classified as like the X receiver, um, whereas uh, whereas Wallace is listed as like the Z receiver. Okay, we'll we'll see opening day who's right. Yep. Uh, so going over to defense, uh, like I said, I have pretty much every name that you mentioned there. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see who really shines at the defensive tackle spot between Hakeem Beam and Devon Ellis and Zane Durant because I mean. Durant is somebody who's gotten a lot of praise and a lot of attention just 
for his freak athleticism. We mentioned him. I forget if it was on our last pod or the one before. The freak list. Yeah, the Bruce Feldman's freak list. Uh, so, you know, clearly a guy who is doing big things in the weight room and just able to kind of show off that explosiveness that, quite frankly, you'd want from your defensive tackle, um, <laughs> things like that. Um, another interesting storyline that I think is uh, it, you know, that we'll want to kind of pay attention to is that middle linebacker spot. So the outside linebackers are pretty much set with uh, Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs. Like you're not going to move either one of those guys out of those spots, but a middle linebacker, it's um, basically Tyler Elsden versus Kobe Kane right now. Um, Tyler Elsden uh, got the majority of action last year at that spot. So uh, the experience would kind of lead you to believe that he's probably going to be getting that spot this year, at least to start. But Kobe is um, you know somebody who's gotten a lot of attention this offseason. Um, a lot of people have said that he's really um, kind of come into shape, if you will, uh, as like a, as a college linebacker. So like he looks great. He's been performing great in training camp and stuff like that. Um, obviously he's going to be itching to get onto the field with his brother, Kalen, so that they could be out there at the same mm-hmm. time. So we could have like the King brothers out there. Uh, so that'll be interesting. And then, um, looking at safeties, I mean, that's something that's interesting too, because, you know, you have guys like Zeki Wheatley, who was last year's takeaway King, and he's not even, um, expected to be a starter, uh, this, this year, at least in my book, uh, because he'll probably be behind Keaton Ellis and Jalen Reed, at least to start, um, you know, who knows like what the season is going to unfold, but at the very least, they're going to have a lot of fresh bodies to kind of rotate in, uh, like they do, you know, across the defense. Um, I think one thing that's going to be really impactful at the safety spot, if somebody's able to do it is to kind of fill that Jair Brown role, you know, kind of that disruptor, Mm -hmm. that ball Hawk, that guy who's just, his nose is just at the football at all times. Just uh, a guy who's impacting the game almost on every play. So it'll be interesting to see with that, but then um, special teams, uh, nothing like crazy here, but I think, um, you know, there's, there's some competition at both kicker and at punter because um, you have uh, Sander Sahidek and Alex Falcons kind of competing for that kicker spot. Um, Alex Falcons is kind of that big name um, transfer coming in. Uh, he was the former kicker at Columbia, um, got all conference honors there. Sander is a guy who uh, was very highly rated coming out of high school. Um, so they're both going to be competing for spots. And I, I'm wondering how James is going to – James is if – I'm like his friend, but I wonder how (laughs) coach Franklin is going to approach like the kicker situation. Like if he's going to have like a guy on kickoff and a guy on extra points and a guy on field goal and stuff like that. Cause you know how they like to like rotate them in and out and stuff like that. And, uh, at punter too, I mean, you have Riley Thompson and Alex Pichetta. Um, Riley's another incoming transfer, um, did big things at, uh, at FAU. Um, but Bichetta coming out of high school, he was rated as the number one punter in the country. So he's got the pedigree, he's got the history and stuff like that. So we'll, we'll see, but, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on kick return and punt return. Cause a lot of, um, outlets kind of predict that Nick Singleton will be kind of the leading kick return man. And Omari Evans would be the leading punt return man. Uh, do you agree with that? Or do you have any other names in mind? I think you might see Trey Potts maybe doing the kick return just to okay. limit the hits on, on Nick. I, I think mm-hmm. uh, it might be a situation kind of like Saquon's last year where it's like, okay, you're hope you're kind of falling behind in the game and you're trying to break one for a touchdown. Then I think you might see Nick, but I think, I think Trey Potts would be a really guy, good guy for that, you know, 
kick return spot. And I think Amari Evans is a, is a really good candidate. I think it's good to have wide receivers, guys with good hands, taking those punt returns. Um, yeah. I well, what I want to ask is uh, who do you think is going to win the place kicking battle? Because I think that's something that isn't the sexiest thing to talk about. And it often gets overlooked, but uh, I think, you know, Penn state's going to have a game this year and it's going to come down to whether we can kick field goals or not, or, whether we're that team that messes up on an extra point. Who do you think has the edge in the place kicking job? If I had to pick right now, I'd probably give it to Alex Falcons. Um, You know, not that he was perfect in his career at Columbia or, you know, in his college career thus far, but he has the real game experience. And that is hugely beneficial, especially for a specialist who has just such a tremendous uh, job on his hands, uh, you know, especially in the big 10 when this conference is going to be so fiercely contested. I think that that experience is going to shine through. And so he'll probably uh, be given those responsibilities more often than other options like Sahidek. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be a tight competition. Uh, really looking forward to it. I do like that. He has that experience because, you know, nerves are a thing with kickers and they get the yips and it's really hard to find a good kicker in college. So, you know, hopefully we got one in Alex Falcons. That's right. Uh, so anything else on the roster or do you want to go to game by game? This is the fun stuff. Yeah, let's go game by game. I've been I've been waiting. I've been chopping out the bit to get to this this section of the pod. So let, let's get rolling. West Virginia, week one. Who do you got? I got us. Uh, I'm marking that as a Penn State win, and uh, a couple reasons why. Um, doesn't matter who it's going to be. West Virginia is going to be starting a new quarterback uh, for this year, and their very first game is going to be Beaver Stadium in a night game helmet stripe game. Like that atmosphere is crazy. So coming in as a new quarterback into that is going to be a tremendous challenge in of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, I would also uh, kind of throw in there is that West Virginia is expected to have pretty good edge play, but this is, um, you know, as we mentioned, one of the best offensive lines that Penn state is expected to have in recent memory. So they should be able to limit, um, you know, what those edges are able to do against expected starter Drew Aller. But not only that, Penn State has a revitalized run game to kind of neutralize some of that pressure, kind of, uh, you know, kind of escape some of those sacks that might have been coming Drew Aller's way and stuff like that. So I'm marking this as a Penn State win. What about you? Yeah, give me Olo Fashanu versus anybody on the edge. Like, honestly. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but when you just look at all the factors of this game, you have a night game in Beaver stadium. You have fans who have been deprived of uh, watching football since the super bowl, most likely. And they're just, it's going to be, they're going to be out all day looking forward to the game. Everyone is going to be so amped up. It's an old rival. Uh, you know, give me Penn state by like 30. Like this all is, right. gonna, I think, I think, uh, you know, I feel really good about this game. Pat McAfee can talk all the trash he wants, but I think <laughs> yeah. that's going to get fan the fans riled up and, you know, Penn State's going to be ready to rock and roll week one. Love it. So, I mean, this is, uh, you know, kind of jumping the gun because our next episode is going to be the West Virginia preview, but Penn State's favored right now by about 20. So you think Penn State beats that spread? Yeah, this is very unusual for me. Like, it is. Year, new Vince. I love Vince it. taking yeah. the spread. This, this never happens. I love it though. This is, yeah, like 
let's let's have optimistic Vince for the 2023 season. I love this. So uh, next up on our docket here, we have Delaware coming to town. So uh, Vince, I'll turn it over to you. What do you think happens here? So I think this is a game on the schedule, one of our non-conference games, where everyone's going to be like, oh, this is going to be a blowout. Um, but I think it's going to be a, a game kind of like the Villanova game a few years ago where like we 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 didn't feel great about it. Like we won the game by I, I, I don't know, 17 points maybe and just we're like meh with the performance. I, I think it's going to kind of be like that. I think Delaware is, is a is a pretty good program. Um, so I, I, I don't expect it to be, you know, a thump in. I, I think Penn State is going to try different things and rotate different players in. I think they'll win that one handily, but um, I don't think it's going to be the big blowout that everyone expects. Interesting. So I I agree with you. I think that they're going to try different things. They're going to put a bunch of different players in there, but I still think this is going to be a blowout, and this is not going to be Villanova of a couple of years ago. Um, and the reason why I think that is because I think there's just too big of a talent gap here. Um, you know, I'm not not trying to knock Delaware, but Penn State with the way that they've built their roster now, they resemble more of Ohio state and like your Clemson and your Georgia and stuff like that. than a lot of other teams um, who may be like more middle of the pack in college football. So I think that they could put those backups and those third stringers in there and Penn state should still win this game by like 30 plus. So I'm, I'm in the boat that I think that uh, I don't think this will be Villanova esque. Um, Cause I think Penn state just kind of, like screwed around too much in that game. Um, and that's like kind of why it was like closer than we kind of thought it would be, but still I'm, I'm with you. Penn state win. Good on to week three at Illinois. So revenge game here. We have, mm-hmm. we had the really embarrassing nine overtime loss uh, two years ago. That was a miserable thing to experience in person and watch. So, you know, I, I hope Penn state is having a revenge on their mind and, you know, getting some payback. Uh, however, you know, Illinois, their football program has been going in the right direction from that point. They finished that season pretty strong. And then last year had an eight and four season. They were in contention for the big 10 West. What are your thoughts on Penn state heading into Illinois, Illinois week three? Yep. Uh, so I have this marked as another Penn state win and a couple of reasons why. Um, they lost a good handful of stars from that really stout defense from last year, including our newest Eagle, Sydney Brown. Um, their defense is still looking like it should be solid, but I believe that Penn State is set up in a way that they can score in different ways. So they're not going to be tied to like the air game or the run game. I think they'll be able to really mix things up just because of uh, how much ath- speed and athleticism they have across the board. Um, they lost a huge contributor on offense in Chase Brown. I mean, he was kind of like the heart and soul of that offense in a way. Uh, he was the one who just absolutely gashed Penn State um, during that day when they lost in in eight in eight overtime. So he's no longer a factor in this. Um, and also, they're going to be uh, bringing in a new defensive coordinator. So you know, even though they had a great defense last year. Um, it's a new guy. So I, I'm sure that they did their research and brought in a guy who they feel very good about, but there's, um, there's a lot of new in this equation, like to the point where I just think that Penn state should win this. I don't think it'll be a blowout, but I think they will win by at least two scores. That's great. Uh, I think this, this game I have circled on my calendar. Um, this is the game that's going to tell me who drew Aller is going to be. 
Okay. You know, this is your, your first game on the road. Um, Illinois did lose a lot of talent uh, to the NFL draft. However, I do think, you know, they got a blueprint for some pretty good defense. So when you're playing on the road against a, you know, pretty good defense in the big 10, you know, that's going to be a challenge. And I think this is going to be a relatively low scoring game. I don't think, you know, Illinois offense is going to, you know, match up with the firepower of Penn state. So I do think it's going to be close. I think it'll be low scoring, but uh, I have Penn state in a close one. Uh, I feel like it's going to be one of those games where we're having a heart attack almost, but I, I think your Nittany lines will come up on top. Cool. Yeah. Hopefully uh, we won't be, you know, stressing too hard by the end of that one, but we'll see. So next year we got the whiteout. Iowa coming to town for its first experience of the whiteout game. Um, tons of revenge aspects to this one as well. Um, so Vince, uh, what do you think? How does Penn State handle Cade McNamara and the vaunted Iowa offense? <laughs> well, I'm I'm a, I'm kind of a believer in karma. So I, I think them booing injured players and, and things of that nature, I, I don't think that's going to go over well. Iowa has never experienced a whiteout uh, with an offense that, you know, really struggles at it as it is being in the most difficult environment in college football, a whiteout and a night game in Beaver stadium. Yeah. That's, that's the game where I'm like, okay, Nittany lines by 40, probably not that high because Iowa does have a stellar defense, but I do expect, expect Drew Aller. It's going to be late enough in the season. Um, as long as he's not making crucial mistakes and, and Penn state's taking care of the football, I expect Penn state to come out on top of this one. Good stuff. I also have a win. This is a whiteout night game that's just juice in the tank already. Um, we owe them big time, you know, for all the reasons that you spoke about and more. Um, and on top of that, like outside of just, you know, kind of those intangibles, I think that this being one of the most anemic uh, offenses in college football last year is not something that we should overlook. I mean, granted, they got a they got a big jolt. Uh, with the transfer of Kate McNamara, but this is still a Brian Ferentz led offense against one of the best defenses in college football. So I don't think that there's um, enough offensively for Iowa to overcome Penn state, especially at Penn state in that night game uh, whiteout experience. So I'm chalking this up as a win as well. All right, moving on to week five at Northwestern. Um, what are you thinking about this one? I, I just, it's a win. Um, and I don't have like a ton of like analytical reasons why, um, you know, just outside of the fact that like there's the disarray going on with Pat Fitzgerald and you can, we can debate like what kind of impact that's having to the team right now. Um, kind of seems like there's some weird, you know, kind of bonding aspect to it, which like we could, you know, go back and forth on, but you know, there, there's that happening. Um, they're not expected to have stellar results in the Big Ten again this year. Uh, they had a pretty, um, you know, low win percentage in the Big Ten last year. Um, and I just think just generally Penn State, just uh, from a talent perspective, I think that uh, they're just, you know, higher than Northwestern. So what about you? Yeah, um, you have all that Pat Fitzgerald and like the hazing drama, you know, within their program and the team. And, you know, that environment just doesn't sound great. And uh, I'm, I'm a believer that happy athletes perform better. So the fact you have all that drama and they didn't win a game on us soil last season, uh, you know, you're going to have to give me Penn state in that one. <laughs> uh, 
Is that a thing? Like, so they didn't win in the United States last year? They were 1-11, and they won a game in Dublin, Ireland. Oh, my God. Wait, was that was that against Nebraska or something? Yeah, I think it was Nebraska week one in Dublin. Wow. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, uh, win against Northwestern. So next we got UMass. Uh, so uh, we got some Adam Brenneman ties coming in. Um, Adam, who's becoming even more and more influential in Penn State's uh, just kind of internet sphere, NIL and all that stuff, um, went from Penn State, became an All-American at UMass. Uh, so uh, we got the Minutemen coming in, Vince. Uh, what do you think happens? So I saw an article the other day, and it was ranking the teams uh, number one to number 133, because that's how many teams are in uh, you know the FBS this year. Uh, right. Where's this going? <laughs> uh, UMass was number 133 on that list. So oh, my God. Give me, give me lines by 50. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, the talent gap is just too big here. It, it's just, you know, it's a wrap. <laughs> yeah. That will be a wrap. Um, if, if we lose to UMass, uh, I'm, I'm done with the podcast. Like that's it. That'll be the last episode. Like yeah. I'm out of here <laughs> at that, at that point, it's like any, you know, good luck that we've built up with starting this podcast last year and Penn State winning the Rose Bowl last year. Like we could just officially call that tank spent because like, there's nothing left after that. Absolutely. All right. So next up, we got the big one. So we have the buy right before UMass, have UMass at home and then on the road in the shoe at Ohio State. What are your thoughts on, on this one, Andrew? So I went back and forth with this one. Um, I think no CJ Stroud, that's a huge thing. Um, you know, going against uh, Ohio State without, you know, that quarterback in place, uh, you know, even now they're still trying to figure it out, you know, supposedly. I'm sure they have it figured out. They're just not kind of publicly putting it out there. But the more that I thought about this, the more that I came to the conclusion that I think this is going to be a close loss for Penn State. And here are the reasons why. Um, number one, Ohio Stadium is, it's a tough out, you know, no matter who you are. That's a very tough place to go and get a win. Um, I believe the last time that Penn State went in there and won was uh, 2012. So we're looking at a decade plus of Penn State not winning there. Um, number two, I think that Ohio State has a, legitimate trio of NFL wide receivers in Marvin Harrison Jr., Amiko Buka, and Julian Fleming. I mean, I think that group right now could honestly, against some of these existing wide receiver rooms in the NFL, fight for that one, two, and three spot. So they're just tremendously talented, can make any quarterback look pretty good. And on that note, I think that Kyle McCord is um, going to be better than like some people might expect because, you know, when you when you think about like the specter of like going from Justin Fields to CJ Stroud to now it's like big question mark here. Like people are going to think that, are, that there's a drop off, but if there's one thing that Ohio state does really well, um, you know, especially in the past 10 years, it's really reload at the quarterback position. Now, whether or not that translates then to the pro level, I mean, obviously we've seen the results, but at the college level, they ball out. So I'm thinking that all these factors combined, especially with it being away, if it was at home, I might be more inclined to say it was a Penn State win, but I think that it being away, I'm thinking that this is going to be an Nittany Lion loss, unfortunately. Okay, so this is one I'm having a hard, a hard time with. I'm definitely torn in, in both directions. 
you have that trio of NFL wide receivers, two who are going to go in the first round uh, this next year, we expect, you know, that's, that's tough. However, you know, we, the strength of our team is in our secondary. So I do like our secondary. However, good offense typically beats good defense. That's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You you throw a back shoulder fade. What are you going to do if you're, you're a defensive back? That's a really tough ball to cover. Not much you can do. So I think that's going to be really difficult. Um, you know, Ohio State, their pass rush really got to Sean Clifford last year. They forced four, four turnovers. However, despite all those things going wrong, Penn State was right in the thick of it up until the last nine minutes. They had a lead with nine minutes to go and Beaver Stadium, you know, almost, you know, kind of blew the game. So I feel like the the talent gap is shrinking between us and Ohio State. And if you look back uh, years ago, you saw the Oregon Ducks go into the shoe and come out with a W. And I, I'm torn in both directions here. And I, I think that the, the best way to stop these Buckeyes is to keep those wide receivers off the field. And what do we have now? We have a good running game. We got Katron Allen and Nick Singleton. So it is going to be game of the year. And you're going to have a, a very, very close uh, Penn State victory. All right. All right. I like it. New year, Optimistic new me. Vince. Yeah. <laughs> cool. No, I like it. So obviously I hope I'm wrong. Uh, so moving on here, um, after what is surely going to be a heavyweight battle, we have a matchup with Indiana. Um, so there's, uh, you know, ever since that 2020 game, uh, was it the touchdown? Was it not call? Uh, Penn <laughs> it State's really, yeah, but uh, Penn <laughs> Penn State's uh, taking care of business against Indiana, but Vince, what do you think happens in this uh, 2023 edition of this matchup? I I think they'll win by two or three touchdowns. Uh, You know, Indiana has really kind of been a bit of a tailspin the past few years since, uh, you know, Penix has transferred out. So ever since he's left, the program's been kind of going downhill. Um, it might even be more than three touchdowns. I wouldn't be super surprised if Penn State, you know, plays their A game. So uh, I think that'll be a big win over the Hoosiers. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm also chalking this up as a win. Um, I think it'll be pretty comfortable. I think that uh, there's a couple of factors in play here. Um, just based on some of the reports, it seems like Indiana is going to be really relying heavily on improved offensive line play if they want to have offensive success. And so the fact that you have a line that's unproven and needs to step up against one of the best, if not the best defensive line in college football, that's just a recipe for success for Penn state. Um, And uh, on top of that, they're going to be breaking in uh, some new cornerbacks after uh, one left for the NFL and another one transferred out. So you've got a lot of experience uh, receivers and, you know, a new, a new cannon and drew Aller, who's just going to be looking to kind of exploit those matchups and stuff like that. So, I think Penn State is going to get back into the win column here. All right. I like it. All right. Moving on to the Maryland Terrapins away game. What do you got? 
I see this as a win as well. Um, I, you know, just based on like their personnel and what they've been doing with uh, Talia Tagovailoa, um, really seems like the strength of their offense uh, will still be through the air. And that matches up really, really well with Penn State's defense uh, with that pass rush, with the secondary. I mean, Kalen King's going to be chomping at the bit to grab probably, you know, two or more interceptions out of the air. Um, and uh, similar to Indiana, the reports uh, kind of say that they're going to need a lot better line play uh, than they got last year. So again, that Penn State D line is going to is going to feast. And on top of that, just like as an intangible, uh, Penn State almost always gets up for this game. There's a ton of Maryland guys on this roster, um, so they love to play Maryland, and uh, they love to they love to show out for this matchup. Yeah, I'm feeling really good about this one, too. It seems when we have a bad performance, it seems to be in Beaver Stadium against Maryland for some reason. But, you know, we get the recruits. We put up billboards of, like, Penn State stuff in Maryland. Uh, we we just own Maryland, uh, you know, in College Park. So I'm not super concerned about that one. It's also later in the season. Uh, Maryland seems to be a team that, you know, in September, they kind of scare you and they look pretty good. And then as they get some injuries and some losses later in the season, they they tend to fall apart a little bit. And uh, until they change, um, I'm not going to be super scared of the Terrapins in November. So um, I'll, I'll take the Nittany Lions in this one. All right. Very good. So next game on the schedule here, this is the other big one. We have currently ranked number two Michigan coming to town uh, for what is going to be the stripe out. Um, so Michigan has had Penn state's number pretty handily the last couple of years. Uh, Vince, what do you think happens in this, uh, most recent matchup? So I feel like this is going to be a game kind of like two years ago where it's going to be close. And just like two years ago, we're going to feel like we should have won it and it kind of got away. Uh, I hate the big noon game. These games should not be played at noon. The energy just isn't the same, even for Ohio State last year. I like the ticket prices. I was able to get in because the ticket prices were only like 30 bucks. So I got a ticket and went in and the, the energy just wasn't the same as a night game or whiteout. And, you know, I, I, I think the players, feel, you know, feel that in, in their performance. And it's kind of tough to beat a team like Michigan who they want to take your will away and just just pound you into the ground and just wear you out. Uh, I think that's going to be tough. And, and you know, Penn state fans, we can do it. Like we can get there and we can bring white out energy in a, in a day game. We just, you know, we really have to be up for it. You know, coach Franklin says, you know, you better need some halls drops when you, when you leave Beaver stadium. If we do that, I think we have a really good chance to, to win a close one. Um, but you know, that's tough. So I'm going to, you know, between Ohio state and Michigan, I think they can win one of the two. So, I I went with the, the kind of the different approach. I took the win on the road and then the loss at home. Gotcha. Uh, so I'm in agreement with you. I think that Penn State can and will win one of those two matchups. So I'm going against uh, the grain here or against uh, your prediction here. I'm predicting a close Penn State win. And uh, the reasons why I think that. Um, this is at home at Beaver Stadium. This is not at the White House or yeah, the White House, <laughs> the big house. This is not at the big house. Breaking news. Penn State plays at the White House in front of President right. Biden. <laughs> exactly. So not only is it not at the White House, it's not in the big house either. Uh, Penn State gets 
waxed by Michigan in the most recent matchups um, at Michigan, with the exception of 2020. But Michigan just rolls Penn State in that environment. But in Beaver Stadium, it is much, much closer. So that's number it one. Is. I think right now, um, with the way that the roster is set up, I think that Penn State right now has the squad to potentially match the physicality of Michigan because that's really been their MO the last couple of years that they've won the Big Ten um, and have vied for the college football playoff. It's just being overly physical, um, just dominating the lines, just running the ball down your throat, and just completely owning all the tempo of the game. I think that Penn State right now, uh, relative to other past seasons, I think Penn State has um, has a good matchup in that regard. Um, and on top of that, I think that you know what's really the most dangerous thing about Michigan, especially offensively, is their runners. You know, you've got um, you've got Blake Corum, you've got Donovan Edwards, and you have JJ McCarthy, who's just a he's not only a very good thrower, but he's also a very good runner. Um, and I think that Penn State on the defensive side has enough speed and athleticism to limit their big playability. Um, obviously time will tell whether or not that's true, but you know, when I look at like all three levels of the defense, I'm not really finding like a huge gap in terms of speed. So I, you know, I think that all those factors combined, um, I think that Penn state is just the team itself is going to be super hungry to win this game because all they have to do is look back at the last two years uh, to this matchup to see, you know, like, man, they've, they've beaten us the last couple of years. Like, let's take it to them. Like, this is, you know, and in, in my prediction uh, timeline, they'll have lost against Ohio State. So they're going to be super hungry to get this, like, kind of signature flagship win um, on their resume for this year. And what a better way to do it than to get it, get it against who's probably still going to be number two Michigan at the time. So I'm... I'm going out on a prayer. I'm saying Penn State win, Vince. Yeah, so I, I'm really liking that. And um, I, to be honest, I, I think Ohio State's roster almost scares me a little bit more than Michigan. Um, so it makes no sense that I'm picking us to beat Ohio State on the road and then losing to <laughs> Michigan at home. But college football is, is, is madness. Like, let's be it's honest. It never, yep. it never turns out how you expect it. So, um you know, I I like I thought Michigan was like the pick that was like kind of too easy to go that way in Ohio State. Like, oh, everyone's talking it up as a loss. So I'm like, you know what? College football is crazy. It's it's madness. So I kind of went that way. But honestly, like if Penn State's bringing their A game, like I think they have a really good chance to be undefeated at that point in the season. All right. Love it. Uh, so next, um, we go from a heavyweight to a featherweight. We've got Rutgers. <laughs> so Vince, uh, Scarlet Knights versus the Nittany Lions. How do you think that turns out? Again, one of those teams where if we lose to Rutgers, like I'm quitting the podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I think the score last year was 28, zero Rutgers. Um, I feel like the first year there in the big 10, it, it was like a really big deal. And getting amped up starting this rivalry with Penn state, that team from Pennsylvania. However, I, I think you've just kind of seen that almost fizzling out a little bit. Now, last year, Rutgers did get off to a very good start, uh, you know, against, against the lines. But again, this point in the season, I, I expect Rutgers to have a lot of losses, you know, not a ton of motivation. And, you know, I, I think Penn state takes care of business in this one, especially since I think they're going to be playing for a lot in terms of, you know, 
winning the Big Ten East or trying to get a spot in the college football playoff. Yep, I agree. I have the chalked as a Penn State win. And for my notes as to why Penn State uh, will win, all I have is it's Rutgers. <laughs> no elaboration. It's just Rutgers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. And our last game of the year, week, uh, week 13, the battle for the land grant trophy, the greatest trophy of them all, a big block of wood. We have uh, Penn State at Michigan State. However, it is going to be different this year. They're playing in Detroit at Ford Field, uh, Black Friday after Thanksgiving. How stoked are you for this matchup? I'm super pumped. I think this is going to be a lot of fun uh, from a fan experience. Quite honestly, I'm kind of tempted to like try and find tickets. I think this would be an awesome game to go and catch. Um, as far as like what I expect to happen on the field, I have this chalked up as a as a Penn State win. Um, you know, I for a couple of different reasons, and the merits of them can be debated. But you know, I think that with um, the disarray with the team right now, you know, with like losing their starting quarterback and among some other players, I think there's uh, definitely there, there's going to be some. Um, you know, some effects that kind of ripple down from that kind of stuff. Um, on top of that, I think that at this point in the season, um, Michigan state could have like a handful of losses, um, on their plate, you know, with this being the last game of the regular season. Um, I think them having maybe a losing record or being like around 500, but Penn state is still going to be very hungry to get some wins because they're going to be competing possibly for, an appearance in the big 10 championship game uh, or the college football playoff, Penn state's going to come out just amped to try and get that one final win, really put an exclamation point on their season. Because as we know in the college football playoff era, style points matter, like how big you win and how you do it matter. So I think Penn state is going to have that mindset. They're going to be in a position where that sort of thing is going to matter. So I think that they're going to come out. They're going to put their best foot forward with this being indoors. You're not any slanting where the craziest things happen, <laughs> whether black magic voodoo things happen, like we're, we're going to be indoors. And this is where, you know, a full season of experience uh, with Drew Aller can really shine through. So I think this is a Penn state win. Yeah. So we are we are always in a different boat with Michigan State. Um, I, I think this is actually a case where I always seem to be right. <laughs> and my okay. negativity actually yeah. like pays off. And I'm like, okay, Michigan State always plays this well. It doesn't matter how bad they are. They just like seem to compete really well with us. Kind of like I feel like we compete really well with Ohio State and just lose. Uh, Michigan State kind of does that uh, with us. However... Just the fact that it's not in East Lansing where all the you know voodoo magic happens with the weather and just craziness, lightning delays, and the next year next year's snow, like it's just always wild there. But the fact that you're moving to Ford Field just to get away from that, like the bad vibes of East Lansing, like it makes me feel a lot better about this, this matchup. I think the indoor venue is going to be nice after the, these guys have been playing in the cold. I think they're going to be super stoked to play on, you know, a turf field indoors. Uh, I think they're going to be, you know, really wanting to impress, you know, NFL scouts. It's going to be really easy for them to, you know, shine. They're going to be, it's going to be a primetime TV spot. Uh, you know, they're not playing on the Saturday. They're playing on Black Friday right after the Lions play. So they'll probably get to watch that game 
the day before and be amped up by that game and just being in that NFL environment. So I just think that's going to be a lot of good vibes altogether. I think they're going to be, you know, really wanting to show the college football playoff committee that they deserve to be in the college football playoff. Granted, they they split against Ohio State and Michigan and win one of the two games. So, you know, I expect good things from this. And then, you know, again, with the talent cap as well. So I, I, I'll i take uh, Penn State to win at Michigan State. Nice. All right. So uh, it looks like we're aligned at least on the final record for the regular season at 11 and one. Um, so, you know, on its own, hugely successful season, uh, Penn State and James Franklin get another uh, 10 plus win season on their under their belt. So um, where do you think that this record leads them? Like, where do you think Penn State ends up? Do they appear in the Big Ten championship game? Do they appear in the college football playoff? Like, where would you place them if you had to bet right now? So I definitely knew your six bowl. Without a doubt, I, I feel like this is a year's six team. And I actually think I really like them to make the college football playoff this year. Now, beating in Ohio State or Michigan, I have a good feeling that they're going to beat one of the two. Will it be my prediction or yours? I'm not sure. But I, I have a really good feeling uh, about this squad. And I, I feel like we've talked about this last year with with the Eagles and the Eagles, uh, you know, after their first year with Jalen Hurts, they went nine and eight. They made the wild card. They got knocked out and everyone's like, oh, they're going to be good. And then you have that whole thing in Philadelphia where everyone says, oh, they're going to be bad. And then they end up being really good. And then everyone's all hyped for the season. And then they end up underperforming. And we saw with the Eagles this year, they really didn't underperform. They made it to a Super Bowl. And that's kind of the same vibe I, I have with this Penn State team. Like, I feel like everything's really starting to come together and I feel really good about this season, which is uncharacteristic of me. So I, I, I think that me feeling as I, I feel like that's a good comparison to make. And so I'll, I'll take the college football playoff. However, I think it's There's going to be a lot of weirdness within the big 10 East. Like, I think you might see like Michigan, Ohio state and us all being 11 and one. And I think it really all depends on how that tiebreaker scenario works out, which team's playing for the Big Ten Championship. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty much in the exact same boat as you, uh, because I think that there is a decent chance that all three teams will be 11 and one, because I think that Michigan will probably beat Ohio State again this year. Um, don't really know why. It's just a gut feeling. So I'm not really sure how that tiebreaker scenario works out if all three teams are 11 and one. I think that in order for us to make the college football playoff, I think whichever one of those teams that we beat, they need to have one more loss on their record uh, for us to get into a four team field because the way it kind of shakes out right now, like the way that a lot of people are kind of predicting the uh, playoff, they have Michigan and Ohio state in there again. And so I think what they're, kind of predicting is one of those is the big 10 champion undefeated and the other one has one loss and it's to the other team so i think that just given the you know scenario i think penn state's best chance is if um like another team just kind of sneaks in and surprises like one of those two teams and like a like a freak upset like how Iowa just like took Ohio state to the woodshed after we barely lost to them mm -hmm. in 2017, like something weird like that. 
Um, I don't think it's impossible. I think there's uh, like a decent chance of it this year um, relative to other years. I mean, the percentage is still very small, but relative to other years, I think there's a, a much greater chance. So I think, you know, if I had to kind of place a bet on it right now, I would say that Penn State is going to appear in the New Year Six, I think that they're going to miss the college football playoff field just slightly, like maybe even be like number five um, in the final. I think that rankings. could happen. Yeah, and I think that you'll you'll see them in a New Year Six bowl, and they will play um, someone like a Clemson, a Florida State, or an Alabama. Yeah, and I, I think that's really realistic. And sometimes. I feel like the Ohio States and the Michigans get that favoritism. So even though we beat Ohio State head to head and we're Big Ten champions, we didn't get picked because of some fluke loss to Pitt in week two. And I, I think the everyone realizes that was a mistake and Penn State, you know, should have been in the playoff. And I think things are changing now where they don't put as much of an emphasis on that those first couple of weeks out of conference games. So I, I do think it is changing. However, I do still think there's some favoritism to the teams that have been there year after year, like your Michigan's and Ohio States and yeah. Alabama's and Georgia's and Clemson's. Yeah. And I mean, that that's just kind of the, it, one of those things where it's like, it is what it is. Um, you know, they, they love to put their, the same teams in there because they can, they can say, and they can kind of place everyone anywhere that they want under the guise of, we want the four best teams. So when you when you use that as like your main selection criteria, there is so much gray area that that creates, and you can basically use whatever selection metric you want. Then, um, and you know it might it might be money driven, probably is to an extent money driven, and that's just kind of what it is. So you know I think that's also part of the reason why. Penn State is going to need one of those two teams to have two losses to get ahead of them in those rankings, because I think that's going to be the thing that will kind of set them over the edge. But uh, either way, um, we're both predicting a very, very strong uh, Penn State season. So like another top 10 finish, New Year's Six Bowl appearance and and stuff like that. So I think we we will be plenty happy with that once the dust settles. Um, if we miss the playoff slightly, um, again, we'll probably be we'll probably be miffed uh you know in real time but i think once everything's said and done uh we'll be we'll be pretty happy but yeah no knowing penn state we're gonna miss it by like one or two spots this year and then next year we're gonna go 13 and 0 win the big 10 and then not even need the 12 team field to get in like that's just <laughs> i'm literally waiting for that to happen like yeah i know and you know what what's funny too is like that could very well come to pass because i think i think that i mean we can we can debate as much as we want right now, but I think next year's team might be better. I think there's some key pieces defensively that Penn state will need to replace, but I think, you know, the Fashanu. Yeah. But I, I actually feel good about like the tackle depth. Uh, Cause you got Drew Shelton and Javen Williams. Like, I think those are two tremendous uh, replacements, but you know, so it wouldn't surprise me if you're 100% right, that Penn state just lights the big 10 on fire next year. And it's just kind of like a, Oh man, this would have been great. And you know, like 2017 or 2022 or 2019, like all these years where Penn state was, uh, you know, kind of chomping at the bit a little bit, but uh, so yeah, good stuff um, to kind of round out this 
episode. So we asked all of you out there to give us your questions, your comments, your predictions, and just your general thoughts on this upcoming season. Obviously, there's a ton of excitement. So we wanted to hear from you and to include uh, some of these thoughts and predictions into our episode. So what we're going to do here is uh, just kind of read through a couple of, I guess, like we could just call it like listener mail <laughs> to an extent. And we're going to give our thoughts and predictions on the likelihood of some of these things happening. So uh, Vince, I'll just kind of like tee us up here and we can kind of take turns to, uh, you know, kind of say how likely we think these things are. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds good. You can go with your first question. Cool. Uh, so our first prediction um, from one of our friends and longtime listeners uh, says that Drew Aller will be a Heisman finalist. So let's give this like a, let's do this on like a scale of like one to 10, like one being never going to happen. 10 for sure. It's definitely going to happen. So on a scale of one to 10, how likely do you think that is to happen? I think that's going to be, I'll go 6.7. Wow. So I think All there's right. like a two thirds chance that uh, I think a lot of it will depend on the, uh, the record of the team, obviously, because when you're a quarterback, that's pretty much how you're, you're graded, but you know, the record, but at the same time, um, if Nick Singleton or Katron Allen, if one of the two, like if, if Nick Singleton is just doing like a Saquon Barkley-esque things this year, like he might get, a, Drew might get overshadowed. So, um, you know, so I'll go somewhere around like, you know, six, six, seven. Wow. That is, that is very optimistic. I'm putting this closer to like a three. I think that that is a very high hurdle. Uh, for this team and specifically drew to clear not because I don't think that drew has the ability to do it. That's just not really Penn state style to really feature one particular player. And it, but that being said, talent and production transcends all. So if he's out there throwing 60 yard bombs with like near perfect precision, and it's going to force James Franklin and crew and crew to, continue to call those sorts of plays because they work. So he could, you know, I think that he has the ability and the arm strength to kind of get into that conversation. I think that there are some other players out there who are like, cause you know, part of this whole discussion and like who's a Heisman finalist also kind of comes down to like, like a who's who of college football at that point in time. So I think there's going to be, you know, kind of a committee of like, your Blake Corum, who was a finalist last year, you're going to have like maybe Quinn Ewers out of Texas, who's been a starter for a couple of years. And there's some like high expectations of him. I think that, um, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. I think we could probably write him in like, you know, like a pen right now to appear in that, in that conversation. So, you know, when you think about like, what is it like the final four, or the final five, like that's a tough group to crack. Um, so I think that it's certainly possible, but I think it's unlikely. But uh, I hope you're right. <laughs> but uh, so for our next thing um, from another longtime listener, and I would dare to call her our number one fan, Vince. Um, mm -hmm. This is uh, our lovely friend, Trish Bailey. So Trish, if you're listening, we love you. We appreciate you. Trish is on top of all of our social media posts. She listens to all of our episodes. So we absolutely love her. And her prediction here says that both Singleton and Allen will finish with over 1,200 yards on the season. So again, Vince, uh, same question. One to 10. What do you think? 
I'll give this one a five out of ten. I think I think Nick had over a th- one of them had over a thousand and one had over eight hundred. I think just the fact it's it's real. I think both of them can get over a thousand, no doubt about it. But I think uh, twelve hundred could be a, a little lofty, uh, you know, especially when you're going against uh, defenses like Michigan and Illinois and Iowa, who are going to really want to stop the run. So I, I think it'll be a bit of a challenge, but I think they can both get over a thousand. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to be optimistic here. I think I'm going to put this at a six point five. I think that both of these players in year two are going to find a different year this year uh, than they did the year before. Um, offensive line should you know knock on wood be even better than last year. They have a lot of experience. They have they have the belief now. You know they know that they can match up with all these Big Ten defenses and create those holes, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that we'll see both of them kind of go on big runs, um, especially against uh, some of our non-con competition out here. So I'll put this as a six point five. I think that twelve hundred, like you said, is kind of a, a high bar to clear um, for two running backs, uh, but. Either way, both of these guys are are uh, well equipped to do it. Uh, so another question here. This is not a prediction, but a question. Um, this is from one of our tailgate experts, my dad. He he asked the question: <laughs> um, Will we see two QBs on the field this upcoming season to make use of Bo Prabula? So think of it kind of like Tommy Stevens and uh, Trace McSorley out there. So what do you think? Uh, do we see both Drew and Bo out there at the same time? I'm going to say two. I, I, I don't think it's very likely. Um, I think you're going to see Drew Aller just taking the reins from uh, Sean Clifford and passing down the torch to him. I, I think it's going to be his team, and you're going to see him running, running the offense. And I expect Bo to get some playing time, uh, you know, some of the blowouts towards the, towards the end of the games to get some experience. But overall, I think it's going to be the Drew Aller show, barring injury. Yep, I agree. Um, I do think that Penn State and James Franklin are going to want to get Prabula, um some meaningful snaps, uh, possibly in the second half of games um, against like Delaware and UMass. But, you know, I think that Drew, um, well, there's a couple things. Uh, one, I think, you know, they're just going to want to hand the keys over to Drew, uh, like you said. Number two, I don't think that either one of these guys kind of match the mold of a Tommy Stevens in like how physical of a runner he was while also being a threat to pass. So, you know, I, I just don't think that either drew or Bo could like run a jet sweep and like run over an opposing cornerback. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't think that they're, they're built to do that. Um, and number three, it's like, if you're going to put both those guys on the field, who are you taking off? You know? So it's like, you, you want to, I just think that there's too many valuable weapons um, on the offense right now to say we're, we're okay with taking off Keandre Lambert Smith and in favor of Bo Perbula to run this like one, like little trick play. Maybe there's a scenario in which something like that could work. You know, Penn state loves to try their like trickeration down it, like the two yard line, <laughs> you know, and, Wait, and wing like, tea with Drew Bo. Yeah, sure. Why not? So let's, let's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Like we've seen Penn state do some, like some out of the blue, out of the box things, uh, with their offense, especially like with that, like tight end wildcat set, um, like Tyler Warren, stuff like that. Like sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we're elated. Sometimes we're pissed, but 
Um, <laughs> I, th I think that the chances that we see both of these guys on the field, um, maybe like more than once, maybe twice this season is, uh, pretty unlikely, but yeah, both on the field at the same time, I, I would say like a one, I, I yeah. you're not going to see them at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so another prediction, uh, from a listener here. She says that we are going to have an 11 and one record finish. So I think based on our season game by game uh, rundown, I think that we could probably put this as like pretty likely. I mean, I'd probably put this as, as like a, like an eight or nine. What about you? Uh, I'd say I'm more around the, the seven range because okay. Ohio state and Michigan, both very tough and you lose both those games. You don't meet that goal. So yep. you know, I'll, I'll say seven. All right, cool. Uh, so we got a couple of questions here. Uh, this is from a friend of the podcast, Charlie. Uh, he gave us a couple of questions that I think are going to be some interesting talking points. So his first question here is, does Singleton or Allen assert himself as the lead back in this system? Um, I'll let you give your thoughts, but you know, my, my initial thought is like, I, I kind of see this as like kind of a one, a one B situation, um, you know, kind of akin to like Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle at Georgia. Um, I think that both these guys are going to be featured, quote unquote. Um, but I think that, you know, Singleton is just too special of a talent not to like have him as the, you know, as the the technical starter. But you're going to see plenty of both of these guys. Yeah, these guys are both great. I think you're going to see them having relatively balanced uh, carry loads. But, you know, there's going to be games where I think Katron Allen's going to get more carries and games where I think Nick gets more carries and that. I think yep. you're going to see Coach Franklin just riding the hot hand, depending on on the matchup and the opponent and who's having a good day. And you know, so yeah, definitely one A, one B. You're going to see see them both getting lots of carries and both getting lots of yards and touchdowns. Good stuff. Uh, so his second question is: Who fills the void at wide receiver with Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley no longer on the team? So I think that we're kind of both in agreement of Keandre Lambert Smith and Dante Cephas kind of being the one and two. Um, so let's, let's talk about that. Number three, like who's your favorite guy to be that number three receiver. So you were saying Omari Evans, like, would you kind of put him as like the one who's quote unquote filling the void? Yeah. He's that guy. I think for me, uh, I think he's got some burners. He is fast. Uh, I expect him to do, make some big plays this year. And you saw it in the blue white game. He was like the one guy who really stood out to me. Uh, I remember, you know, last year's blue white game, I was like, man, Mitchell Tinsley looks so much faster than everyone else. And that's the feeling I had watching Amari Evans this year. So I don't know if it's a thing where you wear number five and you look faster, but you know, I, he looked that way to me. And I, I think he's, he's setting himself up for a great season. Good stuff. Yeah. I think uh Penn State fans should have plenty of belief in not only him, but also Trey Wallace and another guy who I would really love to see uh, some big things out of this year is Caden Saunders. Um, you know, this Same. has kind of been kind of touted as like the next coming of KJ Hamler, uh, yes. that small shifty, speedy receiver who can just absolutely burn a defense. And, uh, you know, I think he's been kind of waiting for his turn a little bit. And I think he's going to be really relishing the opportunities that he gets. Um, so I would really love to see like kind of what he's capable of. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm sure he has like supreme belief in himself and, uh, he's really just eager to show it out there on the field. So, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting yeah, I, to see what I, happens. I would love to see him in the slot. He does remind me a lot of KJ Hamler. I love his explosiveness and really quick, short area burst energy. Like he really, really fantastic. 
his movement skills. Very good. Uh, so the final question that we have here is, should we expect a new look to the offense with a less mobile QB? And a follow-up to that, is it fair to label Drew as less mobile? Yeah, so I, I don't I don't expect t- a, too much of a difference in the offense. It's obviously going to be different because they want to give defenses uh, different looks. They don't want to throw out just the same plays. They want to be creative and, and do some new things. Uh, and <laughs> I think it's really unfair to, to call Drew Aller immobile. He moves really well in the pocket. He's going to do a great job extend, extending plays this year with his feet. So I'm not worried about that at all. Do I think he's going to be running down the field as much as Sean Clifford? No, I don't think it's going to be vertical as much, but I think you're going to see him moving horizontally a lot to expend plays, ex- extend the play. And I, I think you're going to see his eyes down the field a lot looking for wide receivers as opposed to uh, running head on. Very good. Yeah. So my thoughts are that I think it is fair to label Drew as less mobile, but I would kind of alter that label as saying he's like differently mobile because I think uh, Sean was just a very instinctive runner down the field. Like he knew kind of which cuts to take, like how to make guys miss and stuff like that. Like that's not Drew's forte because he's not as fast and he's a bigger target. So I don't think that, you know, it's it's unfair to say that Drew is like less mobile because like by the sheer definition, I think that Sean just has like a little more a little more shiftiness. Like Drew has tremendous uh, mo- mobility like for his size, as we know that. And I would say that that will kind of translate to like a new look with this offense, not because like Drew is incapable of running down the field if he needs to. He's still a, you know, D1 college athlete like the guy the guy is a tremendous athlete in, in of itself but i think that you know so much of sean's running or i shouldn't say so much but i think part of it was also out of necessity you know the plays some of them just weren't there to be made um you know some of it was because of like receivers not getting separation some of it was like the line not um getting like proper protection and some of it i would even argue is because there were just some throws there that maybe sean just couldn't make if you watch like videos and like these clips of Drew Aller out there in practice, and I mean, and granted, I know it's practice, but we even saw some of this during the blue and white game. The guy is just able to throw the ball differently than a lot of other quarter, uh, college quarterbacks out there. And so I think that this is going to be kind of a new look um, from the sense that you're like, you're not going to see the quarterback running as much because he's just able to do more with his arm. Um, so, you know, I know that's a little like, profound i guess but i think that's uh, that's just kind of how i feel is that like it's going to look different not because it has to look different because drew is just that much slower or he's a statue but it's because he's able to do more kind of with his like traditional quarterback tools does that make sense yeah i think you'll see him running less than sean um and yeah he's got some really good arm talent so i expect him to be make a lot of throws through the pocket and his mobility is going to be different because I, I expect him to be uh, eyeing wide receivers down the field a little bit more than Sean did. Right. Uh, so the last thing that I have, and I know that you have uh, one or two things on your plate. Um, a friend of mine posted this uh, prediction who uh, she said that Penn state is going to start the season out hot. Then they're going to do some dumb stuff uh, towards the middle and have nothing to show for it by the end of the season. So I think she's uh, really <laughs> heavily influenced by, uh, the recent history of Penn State football, you know, thinking back to, I mean, like, oh gosh, like 2020, 2021. Um, 
I guess like 2019 to a certain degree. Uh, but what do you think, Vince? Like, are are we trending more towards being among the college football elite, or do you think my friend is more on the right on the right track here? Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Penn State messed up games against Ohio State or Michigan, but I I think the other ones they're going to handle their business, and I, I really like their chances to win at least one of those two games. Yep. So I think we're we're closer towards that college football playoff team than a lot of people think. And it, again, it's just like a different feeling. Like the Eagles were able to finally this past year, make that turn like, Oh, they're supposed to be good. And then they were actually good. It was awesome. So, you know, the fact that that happened was you know really good. And I have that the same vibe. That's the same vibe I'm getting from this Penn state squad. Awesome. Uh, so that's all I got, Vince. Uh, what questions, comments, or feedback do you have? Yeah, so I had a question from John Hunter out of State College. Uh, he said, I know we're linebacker, you and everything, but who who's the linebackers that I, I should really keep an eye on this upcoming season? Uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, I, you know, not to kind of diminish the question, but I think it's it's easy. You got to look at Abdul Carter. Um, this is a you know, a very special kid, a very special talent, um, able to get to the quarterback with uh, relative ease, with incredible speed, um, and just is a freak athlete. And, you know, on top of that, you have Curtis Jacobs. He is, he's very instinctive um, in getting to the football. He's had a handful of turnovers in his career. He had that pick six against Michigan last year. So, you know, he's just a tremendously talented uh, tremendously talented player in his own right. But yeah, I think those are the two guys that you always have to pay attention to. They're the ones that um, opposing offensive coordinators are going to want to scheme for to kind of take them out of the play as much as possible uh, because of how disruptive they could be. So what about you, Vince? You got any uh, other feedback or do you uh, agree with me? Yeah, I would, I would say depth is, I think that's the strongest area on the team in terms of depth. And, you know, the two guys you're going to look for are definitely uh, Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs. But kind of to expand upon that, we we got a lot of good uh, incoming freshmen, a lot of four-star guys. Um, Tony Rojas. Tony Rojas. So do you think he is going to be the guy who is the next 11 and carrying on that tradition at Penn State? Do you think he secedes Abdul Carter as the guy? Do you think he's the next guy to make that step? Man, that's uh, those are some big shoes to fill. I think that I don't. I think that he, from a skill perspective, has the ability to kind of take up that mantle. Um, I think, but the, the the reason why I don't think he'll be number eleven is because he's one year behind Carter. So there would only mm-hmm. be like one year, maybe, that he would be number eleven. Uh, you know, assuming of course that like. Um, Carter's gone after next year and Rojas decides to leave after his junior year and stuff like that. We don't know what's going to happen, but so I would honestly kind of love to see Tony Rojas become like the next 40 a la Dan Connor or the next 42 a la uh, Michael Motti. I would love to see him kind of take up a number of some other very notable linebackers. And I think he could fit that role very well. Okay. Follow up question here. Um, do you expect Tony Rojas to potentially be getting snaps at the number three linebacker spot? And do you think he'll make uh significant flash plays this upcoming season? That's a tough one. Um, I think it's going to be tough because I think he, um, 
figures more to be an outside linebacker uh, than a middle. So he'll be competing with Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs uh, for that playing time. So I think this might be a situation similar to Caden Saunders where he's going to be looking for playing time, but he might not see like a significant amount of it until we have matchups against like Delaware and UMass where they can really just kind of go buck wild and like, you know, put all the guys in, rotate in and out, like every single drive and stuff like that. So um, I think he's going to make his presence known enough, though, in those limited snaps that he might work himself into kind of like a number two spot um, at either one of those uh, outside positions. OK, so you're you're saying he's not going to break the rotation this year or do you think he's going to get the starting like- rotation? No. OK, yeah. Barring injuries, I think he's uh, he'll like his his ceiling right now is um, is the number two spot. And that's. I'm not saying that necessarily as like a knock against him. I just think that the talent that's already there is like so rock steady. Yeah. And you got lots of experience between Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs. And when they play the same position, like that's really tough. Do you think uh, coach Franklin would be willing to be a little more creative and move some guys around to accommodate Tony Rojas to get onto the field at the same time as Abdul Carter and uh, Curtis Jacobs? That's a tough one. Um, you know, if, if he was maybe like kind of that tweener linebacker, I would be more inclined to say yes. But the way that uh, he's kind of been described out of training camp, just kind of like with his physical growth and kind of what he's shown, it really kind of seems like he is just your prototypical linebacker. Like not even like kind of like your your kind of stand up uh, edge, kind of like Micah Parsons was or you know, um, now kind of like what Abdul Carter is now, he seems like he is very much truly like second level defense type of linebacker. So, uh, you know, and and I could be wrong. I mean, maybe he'll, he'll show abilities that exceed kind of what that is, but it just kind of seems like that's like really the, the optimal role for him right now. Um, So I think like experimentation is something that they obviously are not afraid of. I just, I just think it's going to have to be, um, the right opponent, the right situation and a comfortable lead. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited. He's like one of the guys I'm most excited to see, uh, this upcoming season. Uh, I, I think he could be a, a real breakout candidate on the defense. Very good. Uh, so I think that pretty much does it for us here. Um, you got anything else on your, on your plate Vince, or should we look to start wrapping this up? Yeah, I think we can put a bow on this one. If you would like to support the pod, please tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you enjoyed the pod, please leave a five-star review so that other Nittany Lion fans like you can find us. Interested in new episodes? You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or other streaming platforms to be notified. Thank you for listening, and we want to remind you for the 100th time that we are the Nittany Blues Podcast. See you next time.